Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. So, as Jeremy said, we're on our last of our series, Our Quest, where we've been talking about uh, our own personal growth, just taking some time to inventory our lives and just give God a chance to speak into our lives so that we can learn to uh, focus a little more and maybe grow in God's good purpose that he has for us. Um, today, let me start this message by illustrating something. If I were to tell you this balloon is at 100% of capacity to hold its air, and I said I wanted to add more air to it, what would you think? Now, now, just a second. Half of you out there are the people who, when your car says it's six miles till empty, you think you've got 75 left, right? And you think that everybody builds something for more tolerance than 100%. So let's put those thoughts aside. Just trust me. This balloon is at 100%. What's going to happen if I put more into it? Right? That's sure, that, I got a comment first service on that. Boy, I get good reactions on that. Now, let me ask you this. What do you think if I'd tell you that you, every single one of you are living your lives at 100% capacity right now? Do you agree? I'm seeing some heads shaking yes. I'm seeing some heads shaking no. Some of you out there think, no, I can do better. I can give more. I can be better. I can do more. But the reality is we are all living our lives at 100% capacity. We can't add a second to our day. We can't take a second away from our day. We have 24 hours, 1,440 minutes, 86,400 seconds every day. You don't get any more. You don't get any less. You are living your life to 100% of your capacity every single day. And here's the point. If you want to grow... If you want to change something and grow something in your life, then something else has to give within that 100%. Something else has to change. We go through life so many times setting new goals and we make all these resolutions we're going to do and, and we have so many of them that aren't realized. I mean, most of us realize a lot of our goals. Most everybody in this room is pretty successful in life. There's a lot of areas where you realize your goals. But there are those points in all of our lives, aren't there, where we all of a sudden look at some things and we go, there's still some really important things in our lives left undone. Things that uh, we try to solve them year after year, and some of them just don't ever seem to get that much better. What are those really important things in your life that you know you wish you could change, but they linger year after year? For some of you, it might be something to do with your family or your marriage. Maybe maybe something's going on there that, that, that just kind of has allowed you, because you can't overcome it, to allow your marriage or your family to just slide into some staleness and not be all you want it to be. Or maybe it has to do with your personal health. Maybe every year you say, I'm going to be more healthy and I'm going to do this, but, but year after year you, you just, you're just a little bit more unhealthy, a little bit more ill. 
Or maybe it has to do with your, your spiritual life and your, you say every year, I'm going to connect with God more. So I'm going to, I'm going to change these things. Maybe I'm going to pray more or I'm going to read the Bible more. Or I'm going to be in a small group more. Or I'm going to, I'm going to serve His purpose through my life more. And yet you're here year after year wishing the same thing over and over again. See, when we set goals and we have generally good habits in our lives, A lot of the times the reason we don't reach those goals is because of issues of what we're going to talk about today. It's issues of stewardship. Because growth requires a change in how we steward 100% of our life and what goes on in our life. At the most fundamental level, this struggle with stewarding our lives is really, really a spiritual struggle more than anything. So let's talk about this. What is stewardship? It's not a word that we use a lot that's around, but when you hear it in the church and somebody says we're going to do a stewardship campaign, you know they're going to be asking you for more money, right? And if you hear it in other common usage out in the, out in the culture, you may hear people, you may think of people who are going to give you peanuts and, and pop on an airplane. Or you may think of union stewards who are going to represent you in disputes with the boss. Or you may think of restaurant stewards and you would think of anything from porters to dishwashers at a restaurant. Stewardship in its core definition is simply this. The careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. The biblical idea takes this idea of stewardship, this definition of stewardship, even just a little bit further. Psalm 24 verse 1 says it this way. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world, and all who live in it. Second Peter, Peter puts it this way. He says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. God owns everything. And He's given us everything we need. Not that we own it, but that we've been commissioned to manage what he has given us. See, Peter isn't just talking about spiritual life and faith. He's talking about God has given us by his power, the one who created us, the one who holds everything together in the universe, created it all, has given us everything we need for a godly life, a life where we have purpose and calling that is fulfilled and meaningful and joyful in, in our lives, where we, where we live in all the good things prepared in advance by God for each one of our lives, where he blesses us to make us a blessing, and he's given us everything we need. Stewardship is at its core this understanding that everything we are, everything we have, everything we do is from God, and he supplies everything we need. God is the owner, and we're the manager. We were created to manage what he has given us in the way he created us to manage it, in the way he desires for us to manage it for the good purpose, the good purpose that he created us for. And God, Peter says, has given us all we need. See, if we aren't realizing the growth or the purpose God has called us to or some of our goals, maybe it's because we're not stewarding what he has given us in the way he wants. And when we don't, 
we end up missing out on the best God has planned for us and wants us to experience. Think about it. How many times have you gotten frustrated thinking with God, where are you? Why can't we get this right? I mean, why can't I find the peace and the purpose and the the blessing I believe you want me to live? And some of the answer for that frustration of not living in that place that we think God wants us to live in is is some of it comes down to that God looks at life in a lifetime view. You know, I mean, Abraham learned his purpose early in life, but he didn't fulfill it to the very end of his life. And some for some of us, there's that frustration because it's still coming. It's still in process, right? But there's also this frustration oftentimes in our lives is directly tied to the fact that we aren't stewarding the everything we need that God has given us as God wants. We're not faithful, obedient stewards, so we are not experiencing the good God intends for us to live that he pre-planned for us to live in. Today's focus as we reflect on stewardship is, is that we need to look at our lives on a regular basis because we need to reallocate, we need to refocus our lives because it's so easy to get the balance of that 100% of our life out of balance. And when we reallocate that stuff, then it allows us to learn to walk in that good God designed through us, for us to walk in. Now we're going to look at it through the lens, three different lenses. We're going to look at it through the stewardship of time and energy. We're going to look at it through the stewardship of where you went in life. Uh, Went as an acronym just means wisdom, experience, networks, and talents. And we're going to look at it through the stewardship of your finances. But before we look at that, I want to look a little more deeply at at a historical account of an interaction Jesus has, which teaches us a lot about stewardship. And it also, I think, identifies one of the key barriers that we face in this area. It's the story of the feeding of the 5,000. It's actually one of the stories, one of the only stories that's found in all four of the Gospels. In this one interaction, Jesus touches on every aspect of stewardship for us, specifically challenging our faith about stewardship, of what we can do to help bring change even when we have so little. And Jesus challenges our expectation of scarcity in this, about our little that we feel like we can do so often. You know, it's this expectation that, that God wants to do great things through us, and, but, but we often respond to that expectation that I, I just, I don't have much to give, right? Who, who am I? I have such little talent. I have such a little time. I have such a little money. Uh, but Jesus, in this instance, has been out in the wilderness teaching. He's out in the wilderness because the crowds are way too large. They just can't fit in the city. Right. In fact, in this instance, it tells us that there's 5,000 men there, which means there's probably upwards of 15 to 20,000 people in the audience when you count women and children. And, and, and Jesus has been teaching all day long. And at the end of the day, everybody's about ready to leave. It's getting dark, and they're going to head back to their homes or to the towns to find food and, and rest for the night. And Jesus says to his disciples this statement. He says, I want you to feed them. The text is really interesting. When you read the text, you can see that Jesus in that moment of saying that realizes that he's asking something rather ridiculous, right? So one of his disciples respond to Jesus and they say, well, that would take a year's wages. Like, Jesus, what are you thinking, right? I mean, that's right, that's true, it would take a year's wages. Another one of Jesus' disciples responds to him and says, well, Jesus, here's this little boy with two fish and a few loaves, this ridiculously small amount. This amount that wouldn't even feed your inner circle, Jesus, much less 
your outer circle and the 20,000 people there. And Jesus says, no, have the people sit down in groups and we're going to feed them. So he takes the bread and he breaks it and he prays over it and he takes the fish and he prays over it. And the story is, the account is, that the food is multiplied. All 20,000 people are full with baskets full of leftovers. And Jesus is challenging his disciples in this interaction to consider the smallness of what we have in relation to the need around us. Because we don't think we have enough to make a difference all too often. We often look at the opportunities God is bringing us and we say to them, I have too little to give. My meager two loaves and fishes, what are they going to do? I mean, what's my 20 bucks going to do? What's my two cents going to do? What's my two hours going to do? But this reflects a wrong view of stewardship and even more importantly, a wrong view of God that is embedded in each of us so often. And we know that how we think about God affects every area of our lives. Peter says he has, he, he, through his divine power, he has given us everything. Everything we need for a godly life. Do we expect God to be more than enough? Do we expect God to multiply the little that we have into significant life impact? Are we this little boy with two fishes and two loaves, and are we the one who says, I've got these two fishes and two loaves, and Jesus said, if I give them to you, I'm gonna, I and my family are going to starve today. Or are we the little boy who gives them and says, I'm going to give these to you, God, and I know that you're good and you're going to provide in abundance for me. When we think of stewardship of our time and our finances in particular, when God asks us to give, do we see God making that ask as taking things away from us that we need for ourselves? Or do we see him as the God who supplies everything we need and more? See, stewardship at its very core is a matter of faith. Who is God to us? Solomon, speaking to this in Proverbs, succinctly writes about what he's observed in people's lives around this issue of stewardship. And he shows us the difference between people who look at God as the God who supplies more than enough or the people who look and feel like every time God asks them to give, they're giving something away that they need. And he says this in chapter 11, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and suffers want. See, God invites us to see Him the way that He is. He invites us to flip our expectation around this topic from a God of scarcity that we have to hold on to stuff and be fearful about giving and feel upset when He asks us to give something, whether it's time and energy or finances or whatever it is. Or do we see Him as the God who's given us everything we need? Do we look on Him with eagerness when he asks us to give generosity, even sacrificial generosity, when we have so little or feel like it's going to impinge on our life and who we are if we give this? Do we really want to grow and see him as the God who helps us become the most generous people on the planet when we learn to steward our lives well and then watch him multiply what we give? Let's jump into the personal reflection. Let's talk about stewarding our time and energy. 
even though we're living at 100% of our time, that doesn't necessarily mean that that 100% of our time is a wise balance, right? Or a wise use of our time. We get that. Ephesians 5 speaks to this. It says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, we talked about during the second week of this series the fact that we all need downtime. We need recovery time. God created us for this healthy balance in our life between work and rest and worship and play. And he wants all of it in our lives. But as Paul points out, he says, we often look to things that are not the healthiest to soothe ourselves when we're doing recovery sometimes. In his case, he's talking about too much alcohol to soothe ourselves from stress or whatever in our times. As Paul is saying, others of us look to TV or other screen time or something else. But what Paul is calling us to is a wise use of our time to truly keep us in this place of this healthy, strong, really good, pleasing balance in life. And he says that comes to us by primarily an awareness of the Spirit of God filling you and leading you in the use of your time and your energy. And so that kind of begs us to ask two questions. The first one is this. Where do you feel like you can make better use of your time? Where do you feel like you could grow in managing your time better? For some of you, that better use might be um, focusing a little more on work because maybe you're not giving it your best and God wants you to focus there better. For some of you, that means limiting your work because you're already working too hard, too intensely. Or for some of you, it might mean a better use of your replenishing time, whether that's rest or worship or family time or recreation, of using that time better in a more healthy way. I want to encourage you this week to do a life balance assessment. It's just simply this. There are 168 hours in the week. How do you use them? Where's your time going every hour? Where are you spending your time? Wendy did this several years ago. And she realized at that point that she was spending 40 hours a week chauffeuring our kids and sitting at games and practices and events for our kids. All great things. But that was 40 hours of her time, not including the hours a week I was doing the same thing. Our general rule throughout life has always been one sport and one music development thing for each kid. We violated that a couple times and we regretted it every single time we did it. But three kids, even just one for each of them, you multiply that three. That's a really busy week. And what it led us to is this conversation about what's really important for our family and how do we need to think about either changing this or how we balance how we spend our time while we're doing this to be healthier. The second area to reflect on in this area is is the care of your body. Are you caring for yourself appropriately so that your health is good and your energy level is strong? Nutrition, rest, exercise. The reality is you may be doing okay on that today, but are you viewing life as a marathon where you're building into your routine now what you need to have in your routine now so that when you're older and you get older, you still have the energy level you need? This is a time and energy thing. God is providing all we need to fulfill the good stuff He's got planned for our lives in time and energy if we steward that well, is this an area God wants you to put a bullseye in? I don't know. I'm going to ask you today to find one of the, one of the three areas where God's speaking about one thing, not everything, 
and say, God, help me figure out this one. Figure out where he's speaking to you. Growth requires us to reallocate and refocus on whatever God's calling us to do in that area. Second area, let's reflect on where you went in life. The things you've accumulated over your lifetime, the wisdom, the experience, the networks, the talents. As you've lived, you've accumulated these things in your life, these resources in your life. How are you using those to steward achieving your goal for personally growing? How are you using those networks, those wisdom and things you've learned, or those networks to help you in achieving your purpose for impact on other people's lives? How are you stewarding those things? The Bible talks rep- repeatedly about sharing the stories of your life with others so that the next generation will remember God's activity and learn to expect God to show up in their lives as well. There's a friend of mine, George. Two years ago, we used to do some travel together, doing some consulting work when I was doing that. He would come along with me on some of those trips. And he was a really successful businessman, Fortune 500, and then owned his own business and turned it around and sold it and retired at age 52. And he lives this life of where you went and stewarding that so, so well. He lives his life sharing stories about God's success and his forgiveness and his patience But his venue for doing that now is he gives himself freely to people who are young business people, who are either young in their faith or still coming to faith or whose marriages are struggling, two areas where he's really passionate about and really gifted at and has a lot of wisdom and experience. And he builds a relationship with them while helping to empower them in practical ways. He does business plans with them. He does budgeting with them. He helps them with their marketing plans. And then along the way, he finds out how their marriage is doing. He coaches them and counsels them in that. He he listens so much. He's such a good listener, such a good question asker. He builds a relationship with them through all these practical ways. And, and, And what experiences have you got? What areas have you, where have you been in your life? that allow you to have this same kind of interaction with people, these resources. See, older people mentoring younger people is actually a fairly simple thing, but it doesn't happen very well a lot of times because it starts not with sharing our stories. It starts like George, asking questions, finding out where younger people are at and listening and drawing them out, and eventually they ask you to share your stories as well, which happens as you care for them really well. The third and final reflection today is our stewardship of our finances. Now, I've said this before, but I believe everyone dreams of being really generous. I don't think there's a single person on the planet who at some level in their heart doesn't look at the idea of outrageous generosity and go, I want to be that way. And yet there's an old saying that goes around. It's this, the last place in a person's life to be converted to following Jesus is often in a person's pocketbook. And it's because money means a lot to us, whether we have a little or a lot. In most of our lives, it is the most difficult area for us to give control to God and to trust God with. Why? Well, it's simply because money represents a lot of things to it. It represents represents our work and our time and our effort. It's the biggest chunk of our life is spent in earning it. It represents our worth. How valuable am I to others? It represents our security. 
It's generally the thing that we look to to keep us from most of the bad things in life, like hunger or homelessness or not being able to care for ourselves in a medical need or something of that nature. It represents comfort to us. How nice our house will be, how nice our car will be, how easy it will be to pay for college for our kids or to get through college if you're still headed there. It represents to us our pleasure, how what fun things we can and can't do. The vacations we can go on and the vacations we can't afford to go on, the toys we can have, how often we can eat out and, and what, when I can, when I can retire and what my retirement will look like. It represents so much. Evaluating financial stewardship in our life though forces us to face two questions. Do you really believe that everything you have belongs to God? And is God really Lord of your life? And God will test and deepen that commitment to Him in your life through your finances and through your generosity. Whether you have a lot or a little, God wants to provide abundantly, but He won't let money be a God above Him in your life. God asks that that be tested in us on a regular basis through the giving the first and the best 10% of our income to His work through the church. He asks that to be tested regularly. But He also asks that to go beyond that in our life. And God will test it even further than the 10% because God loves you. God is patient with you. God is forgiving. But He won't allow Himself to be second place in your life because whenever He's second place, it leads to destruction and an undermining of His good plan for your life. He's your creator, your heavenly father, your savior who gave it all for you. And he will test and refine you through your giving and your decisions about finances. I want you to hear a story of God working in two people's lives. One of them is Tom Parker. Tom Parker. So he's going to come up even though he'll just be a minute or so here before he shares. And somebody else who wanted to remain anonymous. As Tom comes, let me set it up this way. The Parkers, uh, many of you know, had been missionaries in Kazakhstan for many, many years. And they returned a few years back, and they've been working really, really hard to reestablish themselves back here in their life, their family, kids going to college. But as you can imagine, knowing how hard and challenging it can be to get your kids through college and to make ends meet, and when you've been in the U.S. your whole time earning a halfway as decent Salary. It's even harder for someone coming back who uh, has been giving up many of the best years of their earning years to apply a job that they barely, barely get by as a missionary. So they were facing some needs recently, specifically cars breaking down in the face of them having multiple jobs and transportation difficulties getting to their jobs. One of the really fun things I get to do that I love, so I think it's one of the most fun perks of being a pastor, is once in a while someone feels like God leads them to help someone in need, but they want to remain anonymous. So they come to me and I get to be the one who delivers the gift. It's like, I mean, that's like the gravy job. It's actually just really wonderful. And uh, so recently someone came to me with that, and the, you're, you're going to see just here the raw cell phone video of me delivering an anonymous gift to Tom, and Tom has no clue what the gift is, and you'll very quickly realize he has no clue. Go ahead. Okay, I just told him I'm delivering an anonymous gift and I'm giving a piece of paper for him to read what it is. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Isn't that cool? There's actually a wonderful backstory that I'm going to have Tom share more about with you on that because a couple minutes after this video stopped, Tom broke down in tears and began to tell me this backstory of what God had been doing in his life. So do you welcome him as he tells us that part of the story? 
Well, Ross did a great job of um, delicately summarizing our financial situation. And uh, since last fall, we've had 10-plus vehicle disabling uh, issues with our little fleet of uh, cars. Um, it was enough to make Job up in heaven smile and make wisecracks about bad karma jokes. Uh... Um, by February, I decided I was I was done. I was by February, I decided to sell my motorcycle. That was the fifth item in the fleet, and I was like, I need wheels, and I can't ride that in the winter. Um, and uh, we had great weather in February. I had lots of calls about the motorcycle. It's a good-looking bike, um, but no buyers. Um, and this set up our 12 days of Christmas in March, or you might say a little bit of our own March madness. On the, um, the first day of Christmas was Sunday, March 6th, and Ross focused his message on compassion, and that was what I got. I got a heads up, because the day before while I was running, I had another heads up about compassion. God stopped me, and I, I wrote something down on my iPhone, and um, then that was fo- follow-up to uh, nudge on generosity that Deanna and I had a few weeks before. So we knew something was coming, not when or where, but something was coming. So jump forward from the first day to the fourth day. That's what you just saw. And a little bit of background to that was in the 90 minutes right before Ross shows up at the door with his videotape, I'm dealing with car issues. It's another bad karma day. Um, And I'm talking on the phone with a mechanic in Gehanna. And my son Josiah uh, texts me that his battery just died. So um, we get to that. And uh, and so I'm looking at the little slip of paper, and, and it's really hard for me to process, to get out of my bad karma mode. Um, anyway, what I realized real suddenly was that Ross had no clue what had happened on days two and three of Christmas in March. And that was even more amazing. Monday evening, about 6 p.m., I uh, had a Facebook post from an old friend, Tim Kubaki. He's a physician. Uh, he was in our small group back in the 80s. And we actually even did some matchmaking between him and his lovely wife. And four kids later, they're uh, over in Angola. And we actually even got to help talk Betsy through the the stress and worries of being a mom and taking your kids overseas. Um, Tim, Tim's post described the situation. And they were in the midst of a malaria outbreak. And they were running out of medicine. So if you're a doctor, that's pretty frustrating. And um, I jotted him off a uh, Facebook message. Really wasn't expecting anything out of it for a couple of days. Next thing I know, we're on Facebook chat. It's 4 a.m. in Angola, and he's filling me, and I'd asked him what we could do to help. And uh, Tim said that... Um, one out of every three kids... In their region is dying of malaria. And they're out of medicine. And I was like, okay, God, I love this guy. 
I love what he's about. We've loved their family for a long time. I want to help. What can I do? We're out of money. We're barely keeping our cars alive. And I've got my, and um, all of a sudden, I had a flash of light. And I knew what I needed to do. The Lord said, sell your possessions and, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And I said, the motorcycle money goes from Larry Medicine. And so um, I was like, you know, fixing cars most weekends, fixing cars on weeknights. I can do that. It's way better than a bunch of kids dying unnecessarily horrible deaths from high fevers and malaria. So on the third day of Christmas then, um, a young couple came over and looked at the motorcycle. First serious buyers, no sale yet. The, thir- the fourth day of Christmas was then the car, and uh, Ross had no clue that I had pledged to give my motorcycle away. To, and that was the last thing for our transportation. There was no more solutions. Thursday night, the 10th, uh, I went after work. I couldn't even pick it up Wednesday night. Thursday night, the 10th, I picked up the new car in a downpour, changing the biblical motif from Job to Noah, and, um, and thanking God that the windshield wipers worked well on the new car. Really didn't get to see it in the dark at all. The sixth day of Christmas, Friday morning, I drove the new car to our men's small group Bible study. Um, nobody recognized me when I showed up in that because I wasn't driving a geoprism. So I shared the story of our car troubles, um, devoting the motorcycle money to the malaria medication and um, the anonymously donated car. And I asked the guys, I said, guys, you know, you want to get it? Can you get in on this uh, malaria medication thing with me? And uh, on the 10th day of Christmas, um, the couple shows up it was a week later. They showed, showed up and gave me my asking price for the motorcycle. No haggling. No, nothing. Um, up until that time, everybody offered me $500 less than what I was asking. The same week, the men's group more than doubled the motorcycle money. God had also arranged a medical student intern who was planning to go visit the Kabakis in Angola and flying out of Columbus, Ohio. Tim recommended I send the money with her. On Thursday night, we handed her $4,800. And she flew out at noon the next day. The following week, Tim thanked me and gave me an update. He said, Tom, we got the best exchange rate ever on the cash you sent. Um, we um, were able to buy enough malaria medication to treat patients for the three worst months of the outbreak. This is the, this is the worst time of year for malaria. And we'll be able to treat... Um, 500 patients a month for the next three months. So 1,000 of those will cure and 500 of those won't die because they got medication. So all of that happened from March 6th to March 17th. I couldn't have planned that if I had six months, okay? 
the, the, the support letters, the information, the logistics of getting the money over there, the getting the right kind of cash. Couldn't have done it in six months. God did it 12 days. <laughs> I didn't say this in the first service, but if you want to give any more to that missionary, feel free to direct it through Quest and we'll send more money for that. You know, um, that certainly is not the first time God has challenged Tom and Deanna to give out of their need, to give away something that they desperately needed for their own life and their own functioning, to deepen their faith in how good God is. Just like the boy who gave his meal to Jesus, not knowing fully what would happen for him and his family, but stepping out and allowing that meal to feed 20,000 people. Tom and Deanna sell the motorcycle knowing that they need it. And yet, God blesses. An anonymous giver at the same time as God speaking to them senses God calling them to lead, to give a car to Tom and Deanna, not knowing what's going on. A small group hears about the story of God working through this situation and multiplies the impact. See, here's the promise God makes to us. When we learn to trust Him that God is the owner and we are the managers. He says to us in Luke 6, he says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not conform or condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. What he's saying there is what we freely give God will come back to us. He's saying if we give him and steward our time and energy in relationship and give our time and energy to relationship with people who need our forgiveness people who would provoke us to condemn, and yet we have to defer that condemnation in giving our time and our energy to them. But what we give, we receive back. This is the reason when we talk about generosity, we don't just talk about finances. We don't just talk about money. We talk about kindness, our time, our forgiveness, our compassion, our generosity, our service. But Jesus does also talk about generosity in our finances. And he talks about finances more than anything else he talks about in his stories. He says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will it be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you measure your life in a stingy fashion in response to the stewardship of your life and God's asks of you in that regard, then you will receive back stinginess. If you are abundant, you will receive abundance. But see, the only way our hearts can actually even get to that place where we can be abundant and joyful in this kind of stewardship following God is if we see God as the owner of everything we have and we are simply the managers and if we see God not as stingy or demanding when he asks us to give something, of taking something away from us, but we instead see him as the one who gives us more than enough, and we trust that heart of abundance in God towards us. Now, I know some people have abused this last scripture that I've read to make it into this magic formula to get rich, and it is certainly not what Jesus is saying. 
But Jesus is undeniably saying, and we can undeniably recognize that Jesus is saying to us that he wants to bless us with abundance, with fullness, with pressed down, shaken together, running over lives that give goodness away regularly, that when we give, he creates a greater capacity for us to give. Right? When we're generous, all of the generosity of heaven is unleashed upon us to help us experience a complete, overflowing, full life of generosity and kindness and giving. I actually heard this past month from a youth who has recently begun to work and make a little bit of money that they wanted to, they looked at this verse and, the, and some of the verses liked it and they said, well, okay, if that's God, then instead of me giving 10%, I'm giving 30% and that's what they've been doing of their income. Trusting that God is the owner of all and that they are the manager. Trusting that God is generous and not stingy. Do we trust Him like that. See, the core of this is really a spiritual issue. Do we trust God as a person, as a person who provides abundance? God is the owner and we're the manager. And I think it sounds really nice to live a life when we understand that He wants to give us all we need to live this kind of generous life. But we have to trust Him. We have to put Him first. Can you imagine the fun stories we get to be a part of like this when we learn to do that. You may be Tom and Deanna in the story that God orchestrates with this surprising gift and your heart will be full when you take a generous sacrifice to follow Him in stewarding what He gives you. You may be the anonymous donor who when when they found out as the story unfolded how the impact magnified it just took their faith and made them feel so happy and deepened their faith so much. You might be the ministry leader, the missionary receiving on the end of this and seeing an answer to prayer to empower thousands of lives to be touched by the gospel. Because, see, it's not just the 500 people or the 1,000 people that get this medicine. It's them and their families and their friends that all get to hear and experience the gospel. The potential for God's work is so magnified in this situation. Right? Imagine the fun that it would be, that life would be if we give up the stress of ownership and we let God be that owner and we learn that He is a God of abundance and we learn that this outrageous free obedience and generosity that we can have as stewards is a fun lifestyle and we get to watch Him multiply even our little gifts into greater gifts. Today I left you with a personal decision sheet that's going to ask you a bunch of questions you can reflect on this week just to try to come down to the one point that you feel like God is most speaking to you about about this stewardship issue. If we want to change, we have to reallocate how we do our life because we are, all of us are already living at 100% of our life. Does He want to speak to you about your time and energy? Does He want to speak to you about freely giving away your wisdom, your experience, your networks, your talents in life? Or does He want to speak to you about giving more in finances? And I want to invite you today as we continue to worship, and even as you do that process this week, I want you to approach that process of reflection imagining God as your Father, the owner telling you, I will provide 
not just enough. I'll provide everything you need to walk in the really good plan I have for your life, to provide for your family, to provide for you to have a meaningful life, to provide for all of it. But the question is, will you let me be the owner? Will you be the manager? And will you trust that I have good intentions towards you? Lord, I ask that you would come by your Spirit now. And as we continue to pray and as we continue to worship, Lord, would your Spirit be made manifest among us and lead us to that place where we can repent of the areas and see the areas where we hold on to control. Lord, we all need to come to you on a regular basis because it's so easy to take back control. Lord, would you help us to give that stress to you? And would you lead us into the good, wonderful, powerful life of the abundance that you want to bring to us as you bless us to be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.